We're continuing on our series of the Ten Commandments, the Rules of the Road, and this morning we are on the second last commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, but uh, next week we'll be closing this whole series, and I actually am going to be on vacation starting next week, so I won't be with you, but Kyle Bleeker um, who is one of our interns here. He spoke the whole week here at Serve. He is going to be the one leading that, um, or, or sharing with you that sermon. And um, I, I got to tell you again, I'm just really impressed by all of our interns and what they've done and the learning that they've done. And I'm excited to hear, uh, I'll watch it via video, but I'm excited to hear what it is that Kyle is sharing with you from God's Word. So come and be blessed by that. And um, Kyle's a good guy. Come and encourage him and, and, and be blessed by his hard work because he works hard. We are going to be reading this morning from Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me shall not make for yourself an idol <clears throat> in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I ask you the question, just the simple one, what does this commandment mean? What do you come up with in your brain? Is it, is it that thou shalt not lie? Is that false witness? So is this just about lying? Is this a commandment that applies only specifically if someone is called as a witness to court proceedings where there's official swearing in and put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, oaths taken, and someone asks you questions and you are called to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Is that the specific place where this commandment applies and then nowhere else? It's sort of one of those things where for us as God's people, 
I mean, if you've been in church for any period of time, you, you've heard this commandment over and over and over again, right? I mean, every time you read the law, you, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But really, what does that mean? How many of you think that I'm going to just talk about the official court proceedings this morning and how this applies there? You're getting to know me. I'm really, really glad. Absolutely, this commandment clearly has a much broader application than don't lie, nor go into court and not tell the truth about the proceedings against your neighbor or whatever's going on. This commandment is much broader, and I think is perhaps for me one of the more challenging commandments in part because I've just spent so much time in my own mind and heart skipping over it. Well, if I don't lie or if I don't go to court and do this thing, then I'm okay. But I believe God's Word gives us much more to understand about what this commandment is and how we then apply it and live it out in our lives. And for us to get to the fundamentals of that, we need to actually go into the Hebrew, some of your favorite stuff, I'm sure. Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament. It was the language in which this document was written in. And Hebrew is a very different language than what it is that we speak in English. Instead of reading from left to right, you read from right to left. And while you're reading from right to left, you are also reading up and down. So it's complicated. There's a lot going on there. But because of its complications in its language, because you may not know this, but originally the Hebrew text, very originally when it was first written, was only written with consonants. They actually went later on and inserted all the vowels. So the original text that we have has all these consonants, consonants, but doesn't have vowels, which means that the people later on who inserted the vowels were trying to insert the vowels in such a way that they were figuring out what the person was actually saying, which, if you're an interpreter of Scripture, it opens up the world sometimes because it's challenging to figure out exactly what's here. This is one of those spaces where there is broad interpretations or there can be broad interpretations of the text because really you have four Hebrew words. Testify, neighbor, actually it's, uh, it's not, testify, and neighbor are the three root Hebrew words. And then there's all these other funny vowel points in there that you have to interpret with prepositions and other things. So, in understanding this commandment, we have to understand that although we can read it one way, it can also be read in other ways. They still apply much of the same principle, but on a broader scale. And when we talk about this commandment only being a legal commandment for legal proceedings, that's a narrow interpretation. And there's a minimal interpretation, and we, they call it a maximum interpretation. Minimum is a legal proceeding commandment. Maximum 
is when we open it up a whole lot more. And I believe, because I understand God's Word, especially in its fullness, both Old and New Testament, that God opens up this commandment to our understanding in, in a much broader way than just those legal proceedings. If we actually look at the commandment literally, in the Masoretic text, the Masoretic text is where they actually applied the vowels. Here's what it literally says. Do not be a lying witness to, towards, or about your neighbor, because there's a preposition there that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And if we hear that commandment as, do not be a lying witness to your neighbor, it changes things quite a bit, doesn't it? It's not then just about being a witness in court, especially because we see words elsewhere in the text of Scripture that challenge us to think about that word witness, right? What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says to them, you will be my what? Witnesses to the world. So if we take that word witness and understand it in the Old Testament, in the commandments, the way that Jesus spoke it in the New Testament to the disciples, this commandment becomes much broader than not lying in court about proceedings. It becomes much more about how it is that we live out truth. How we live out the life that God gave to His people and gives to us in obedience according to His law. It definitely is one of those things that as I consider how I've seen this commandment in the past, forces me to think differently. Do not be a lying witness to, towards, or about your neighbor. And yes, the command, of course, has legal implications. There's still that legal language of witness. So that's true. But more so, it's telling the Israelites, the people of God, to live out God's truth to the world around them. And if we think about that, how did Israel do with that? I mean, God made it clear that he called his people to be his chosen people, set apart, uniquely different in their expression of their faith than everyone else around them, because by doing that, they would show other nations, tribes, peoples around them who God was. And of course, we know Israel's history. And Israel's history is littered with spaces and places where they just sort of embraced the cultures that they were surrounded by. And so instead of giving a true witness of who God was by worshiping Him only, having no other gods before Him, keeping Sabbath observance, doing all the dietary laws and other things that He had put in His law for them to do to set them apart, they were living out a witness to the world around them that was a lying witness. They weren't showing these other tribes, tongues, nations who the real God was. They were showing them a shadow of Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. Okay? Then we have to ask that question for us. 
How are we doing with it? How do we live out truth to the world? How do we live out a true witness to the world around us? How are we doing with that? How's it going? And, you know, I think about that this week, right? I mean, this week, there were some just spectacular times of us experiencing God's presence through us and in us as servants as, as there were things going on over at Lagonia School. Wonderful things where people, I think, saw the heart of God on a deeper level because of a group of high school students and leaders who cared deeply about kids as they played sports. And over at the art camp, same thing. And at the Coopers, there was a lot of construction work being done. And in that, God was honored and blessed as he, he showed himself both to the students and all the other folks who who were participating, that God is a God of love. God is a God who calls us to build together and work together to give Him glory. There were glimpses of that. But I also know there were other glimpses. Why? Because no matter how good the surf kids are, they're imperfect, they're broken, and they're teenagers. <laughs> because of that, some things are going to show. And by the end of the week, they're tired. I can tell you this, that I saw some tired kids who didn't show a great witness, especially when they got home to your, their parents. Is there anyone who can speak to that in here? All of a sudden your kid comes home and you wonder, okay, what's this witness? Because I don't see Jesus in this crabby child before me. But what about you and I? What about the life that we live? What about all the spaces and places that we go to, work in, live in, play in? True witness? True witness or not? It starts to cut to the heart of it, especially when we begin to use words like superficiality. Syncretism. Syncretism is where a person of faith synchronizes their lives with the world's view of things. So instead of living set apart, they live within the culture. So it's almost like there's no difference. Hypocrisy. Dishonesty. There's many, many others. And they're all tied into how we live out the truth. But there's even more to it than that. Because remember, we talk about the negatives of the commandment. Thou shalt not. But what is it in the command that is the positive? And if we just move the words around and turn them positives, then you shall be a true witness to about towards your neighbor for us to think about that, how do we proactively become a true witness? That's not passive. That's not us just sitting back and saying, well, we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that, and then we fulfill the commandment. The commandment's positive, moves us towards action, and says, what is it that you are going to do that honors God within this commandment? Living out the truth. Living out genuineness. If we're going to live out a true witness to the world, what is truth but genuineness and integrity in everything that we do? Everything. How we play. 
how we view things, how we talk to others about things that can get us impassioned, things like politics, things like our children, things like education, things like money. How do we live out genuineness and integrity to God's plan and purpose for us as his people in the world around us? How are we doing with that? Because not only can we bless others with a true witness, but we can harm them deeply with a false one. I was thinking about this, that this week because my, my family, we, we watch ESPN regularly, or maybe I do, and they just tolerate it. Um, watching ESPN, it was a big week in Major League Baseball because it's starting to hand down the penalties for performance-enhancing drugs through a company called Genesis. And one person in particular who's going to be bearing a great weight for his behavior during that whole time is a guy by the name of Ryan Braun, who's a baseball player for the Milwaukee Brewers. And, of course, we, the Tour de France just finished. Chris Fromm from Great Britain won the second Tour de France in the history of, uh, uh, for a Great Britainer or an Englishman, uh, so it's a big deal. Um, But every time I see the Tour de France, I can't help but think of Lance Armstrong, right? And Lance Armstrong is the sort of guy who, uh, he used also the performance-enhancing drugs or the blood doping or all the stuff they can do with with bicycling. But my problem is not with the drugs. I mean, I I wish they didn't do that. I think when I talk to my son about performance-enhancing drugs in sports, and my daughter Cameron especially, both of them just love sports, you know, it's, it's almost sad to have to have that conversation. But that's not my real problem. My real problem is that as I read the articles and the reports about teammates and people around them, that both of them, within their bad behavior of doing these things, hurt others because they told the lie, defended the lie, and destroyed people who were challenging the lie. They destroyed their careers. There was a person from Genesis this whatever agency that delivered a sample of Ryan, from Ryan Braun, and this guy, Ryan Braun, argued that this guy poisoned that sample, and he couldn't be trusted. And that guy lost in his reputation. I think he lost his job. All because Ryan Braun defended the lie. And when that happens... And when the bad testimony, when the lying comes, and we don't live it out in genuineness, in integrity, people can get hurt. Now, it's different, obviously. We're talking about a specific sport issue as opposed to, in our lives, talking at a full witness. But I want us to understand that when we defend the lie, And the witness of the lie with our lives, people are harmed in the same way that they were with Lance Armstrong and Ryan Braun. When we defend the lie with our lives, with how we live and say it's okay and keep moving towards those things that are not a true witness of who God is, there's harm that comes because people don't see the real God. They don't see Jesus. They see some facsimile of him, and that's not true witness, and so they may be turned off by faith. 
They may want nothing to do with it. Or if they do believe, they may get into some sort of understanding of who God is that isn't true. This is a challenge for us. But here's the blessing. The blessing is, is as we live out true witness, not only is God glorified, but people see the true Jesus, and so we become a conduit of God's Spirit in the lives of others, and they hear the truth. God uses us perhaps even to change someone's eternity. Now, as we look back at the text, we can understand more about how God does this in his people and then does it in us. In the Old Testament, God calls his people to be true witnesses of himself, to put God on display. But their weakness is not met with his full strength until... Until Christ comes, empowering them through the Spirit to true witness. When Christ comes, and the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost comes upon God's people, then truly they can become true witnesses to the world around them. Even before that, even as the nation of Israel got together and tried to fix things up. Then I'm talking here about Nehemiah and Ezra and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. They were trying to always get it right. Obedience to the law. We're going to make sure we're a true witness. They still mess that up because they got so into legalism that we get Pharisees and Sadducees and all the people that Jesus had to battle against. You can't get it right until Jesus comes. You can't get it right until Jesus comes. But when Jesus comes, not only can you get it right, but you're empowered by the Spirit to live it out in such a way that the world is transformed. Do you find it interesting that in the Old Testament, God's people were limited to a very geographically small location? Israel. Israel. Yeah, they went out in exile, but eventually they came back. What happens after Jesus comes? Where does the gospel go? Everywhere. Because when Jesus comes, the witness explodes in such a way that everyone will hear about who Jesus is. You can't get it right until Jesus comes, but when Jesus comes, watch out. Watch out what the witness does and how it transforms the entire world. Christ's testimony of John 14, verse 6, answers God's people, people's needs for his presence. I am the way. I am the truth that you can live out through the power of the Holy Spirit as you trust in me. I am the life. His then promised presence equips his people to live genuine lives of integrity before a world that needs true witness. If you don't understand this, look really quickly with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open in front of you. It's always a good thing. Then you can test and see if what I'm saying is right. And if it ain't, you can challenge me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. But he said to, to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Here's where we're going here, and this should challenge you. What Paul is saying there is, my true witness to the world around me is what? It's how how good I am. It's how strong I am. It's about my ability. It's about my power. No, of course not. His true witness to the world around him is what? His weaknesses. His sufferings, his feelings. Why? Because as he is genuine and truthful in that witness, Christ's power is shown. And that's important for us to hear. Because so often, what do we want to present to the world around us? You're together, you got it figured out, you're a strong person got a perfect marriage, great kids, nice job, everything's great. How is that a witness for Jesus? For us to be honest, and I'll tell you right now, I'm struggling a little bit right now. You have no idea about how much I'm looking forward to vacation, because it's been a lot this summer. God be praised, God has shown up, because if he didn't, we would be a mess. And I need some time away. I need some time off. I need some time to rest because I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. And I want you to know that, not because I want you to feel sorry for me, because I want you to understand that God meets me in that spot just as he meets all of us and empowers us to be able to live even in that tiredness, that stress, that, that, that whatever it is to face the day ahead. One of the biggest struggles that we have in the church is that the testimony that we share with the world around us is that we're all, what, good little Christians. Is that a true testimony of who God is? How many of you are a mess? Let me ask you this, though. Why can't we see it? Why can't we see it? We can't see it because we put on the nice clothes, put on the nice face, drive the car that we make sure is clean or washed or whatever so that the world can see what? That we're not a mess. That we're just fine, thank you, don't go too deep. Is that a true witness? You just put your hand up. I just put my hand up. I can put two up. Because I'm that much of a mess sometimes. I'm, I'm struggling with what that means. It means sometimes that we just need to be honest a thing that drives me nuts, and I do it too, it's guilty, right in the mirror, right here. What do we say when we talk to people at church on Sunday morning? How are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are things? We're 
good. And maybe you are. God be praised for that. But the challenge is, is that we do that even when we're not. Is that a true witness to who God is in us? Because God meets us in those places. And he empowers us through his spirit and through this community to be blessed and be, be a blessing and be equipped to face the challenges ahead. One of the greatest moments that we have in the life of the church is when we have people who come up here and says, guess what? I'm a mess. Here it is. Welcome into it. Because we understand more fully that in the mess, God meets us, empowers us through His Spirit to live not in our own ability, not in our own strength, not in our own talents, not in our own capacity, not in our own bank account, but through His Spirit. There's never a person who stood up here and given a testimony who said, you know what, I was really hurting And then I fixed it just enough so that God could meet me and make it better. Never once. Why? Because God meets us in the depths of the darkest places. And for us to be genuine and honest in that witness. And it doesn't mean that you dump your life on everybody. But it does mean that we are the first as followers of Jesus to acknowledge our need for God's grace. I don't know what that meant for Paul in 2 Corinthians. Did he just walk into a room and people said, Hey, Paul, how are you? And he said, I'm pretty cruddy. Because I'm a mess. i got a thorn in my flesh and I can't get it out. And guess what? I'm going to be going to prison. And on the way there, the ship's going to get wrecked a couple times. Did he do that? I don't think so. But he gave us this. And in this he said, I am weak. And in my weakness he is strong. In my brokenness he knits me together through his spirit. It means that you and I are honest about how desperately we need Jesus in everything that we do. It's a true witness. But here's an important part, and I don't even know where I am on my outline. It's all good. Even in that, you and me just simply can't get it right. You and I can't be empowered by God's Spirit. Just keep moving through the screen so people can fill out the blanks and feel good about themselves. Don't worry about it. I'll be going different places. It's all good. Even in that space and place where you and I acknowledge our need for God's Spirit to come in and transform us to genuineness and integrity and honesty before God's people, before the world around us, before each other, we, even in that space, simply can't get it right. Even there, for us to acknowledge that we need Jesus to come in and even move us there. That's what grace is. Grace says, Jesus, I can't fix this. I can't fix my tiredness. Vacation, that's just simply a prescription. And I hope it works. But what I need is for you to meet me and move in my heart to move me towards rest, to move me towards strength, to move me towards healing, to move me towards recovery or transformation. I need you to come in. 
And I want to be honest with you, as your pastor. You may, you may think that things are great here. You may think that we have a lot going on that's good, and we do. God be praised for that. But there are times when I feel like, praise God that he shows up, because otherwise we would just make this thing an absolute mess. We need to be remembering that for all of our lives. We need Jesus to show up, not just on butcher paper in a week at serve, but every moment of every day and every space and every place that you and I live. Did we get enough blanks so everyone feels good? Because I want to share with you one more thing. I was thinking about it this week. Beth and I were sitting and talking, and um, how, do, how do we do this? How do, we, how do I you know, sort of share with you just what, what is, what's, what's our action point? How can we leave this space equipped and prepared to do God's work? Well, this morning when we took our offering, Beth said to you the words, um, that this is part of our worship. And it's a sacrifice. It's an offering that we give. So I want to share with you a song. Many of you have heard it. Maybe you've heard it a bunch of times. I like this song. But I like this song this morning because it's a song that talks about how we can respond. And it's not a response that says, I will do this with my life, that I will change this in my life. It simply is a response where you and I offer our bodies, offer our hearts, offer our minds to Jesus and say, you do whatever you want. I'm going to do this because it's true. I'm going to do this because I need you to take my life in whatever direction you want, and I will do this because you've given everything for me. And as my thank you, my gratitude, I offer up my life as yours.